Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Well, praise the Lord. Here we are for another great Wednesday night united. We're excited about what the Lord is doing. all that he's been saying to us, uh, and we are going to get right into some good things from the Word tonight. Uh, We want to continue with this that we uh, started uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the platform that you stand on, and uh, we want to move into this uh, tonight. Looking at the second part, I, I, I intend to deal with the three main uh, uh, planks in the platforms uh, because, of course, uh, Sunday, we'll be dealing with one of them Sunday as well, uh, but that will be just two days before the election, so, of course, we won't be able to reach all of them, uh, but the platform that you stand on, and we want to deal tonight Uh, with where do you stand concerning the nation of Israel. The platform that any organization or for any organization is simply what that organization believes, what they hold to be true. And uh, I made this statement uh, in other messages and used it as an illustration. If I invite someone up to our platform in the church, It's because we agree. It's because we believe the same things. We're on the same platform. Uh, You'll hear this phrase, we're on the same page. All right? When we cast our votes, we are setting ourselves in agreement with the platform of the party we voted for. All right? Uh, Period. Whatever party we support, we're casting our vote for them. We are saying we're in agreement with what's in your platform. And you'll hear people say, well, you know, I voted for this platform, but I don't agree with this. That, that's irrelevant. Because if you voted for that party, you received their platform. That, that is what's so important. There are many good, godly men and women on both sides of the political spectrum, if you will, both sides of the aisle. And and there are some that there are things in the platform of the party that they vote for that, number one, they don't even know are there. And number two, if they did know they were there, it may be something that they would or would not, may or may not be a part of, but yet... When you cast your vote, you receive the platform. And so the platform of any party will be the driving agenda for all of their legislation. It outlines clearly in the platform. If we are elected, this is what we're going to push to do. This is what we're going to try to make 
law. This is what we're going to repeal. This is what we're going to uh, uh, try to put in place. And in other words, it is what they're going to push to accomplish over the next four years. Over the next four years. That's what they're going to push to try to accomplish. And we talked last week about the abortion issue. And we looked at both parties. And, and we have one party that says we're going, to, we're going to want this to be legalized and normalized and access to abortion for every uh, woman and girl. And you have another party that says we want to make it illegal. Uh, we don't want it to, to, to no one to have access to it unless there are certain cases of incest or rape or things of that nature. And here's the point, and here's the issue. A lot of times people will say, well, you know, when you're ministering along these lines, it seems like you're in favor with a certain party. If that party lines up with the Word of God, then we are. We are believers. What, what we believe is what drives how we vote. Amen. And, and I will say this, that if there is an instance where the Democratic Party lines up more with the Word of God, then that's where the vote should be cast. If the Republican Party lines up more with the Word of God, then that's when the vote, where, where the vote should be cast. Or the Libertarian Party, or the Independent, or whatever. Here's what I'm trying to say is it's for believers, it's not a Democrat-Republican issue, it's an issue of what does the Word say? And then we go about finding the party that most closely aligns itself with the Word, and we vote that way. There is no perfect party. There is no perfect political party that's going, that's going to vote or going to hold to exacting biblical principles. But I remember uh, in an earlier election, a person asked my wife, they said, how could you vote for such and such a candidate? And my wife said, that's easy. They were the only pro-life candidate. That settles the issue. And that trumps uh, uh, finances. That trumps promises. What, what does the word say? And so... Where do the parties stand on supporting Israel? Well, let's begin. On page 91 of the Democratic platform, it states, Democrats believe a strong, secure, and democratic Israel is vital to the interest of the United States. Our commitment to Israel's security its qualitative military edge, in other words, it's, a, it's, it's right to continue the, to expand the quality of their military, its right to defend itself, and the 2016 Memorandum of Understanding is ironclad. Democrats recognize the worth of every Israeli and Palestinian. That's why we will work to bring to an end a conflict that has brought so much pain to so many. Now, there's some words I want you to notice. 
re-support a two-state solution that ensures Israel's future as a Jewish and democratic state with recognized borders and upholds the right of Palestinians to live in freedom and security in a viable state of their own. Democrats oppose any unilateral steps by either side. Here's a word. Including annexation that undermine prospects of two states. Democrats will continue to stand against incitement and terror. We oppose, here's a word, settlement expansion. Now, I will add a word there because we oppose it would be, well, let's leave it there. Uh, We oppose settlement expansion. Now, that's on page 91 of the Democratic Party platform. Those statements. Where does the Republican Party stand on supporting Israel? Page 47. And I'll remind you that uh, you can go online and all you've got to do is, is go online and search Republican Party platform, Democrat Party platform, and you'll, you can pull all this up. This is direct quotes from their platforms. All right? Where does the Republican Party stand on supporting Israel? Page 47. Like the United States of America, the modern state of Israel is a country born from the aspiration for freedom and stands out among the nations as a beacon of democracy and humanity. As a matter of fact, Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. All right? It is surrounded by its neighbors, and it's the only democracy. Beyond our mutual strategic interest, Israel is likewise an exceptional country that share our most essential values. It is the only country in the Middle East where freedom of speech and freedom of religion are found. I'll make this statement just from my own research. Israel is the only Middle Eastern country where Christian, the Christian population is growing and blossoming because they have freedom of religion in Israel. Now, therefore, the, the platform goes on, support for Israel is an expression of Americanism and it is the responsibility of our government to advance policies that reflect America's strong desire for a relationship with no daylight between America and Israel. We recognize Israel, or excuse me, Jerusalem, as the eternal and indivisible capital of the Jewish states. Now notice, that's an important phrase. Eternal and indivisible. An undivided Jerusalem and call for the American embassy to be moved there in fulfillment of U.S. law. Of course, we know on May 14, 2018, the United States officially opened their embassy in Jerusalem. That was 70 years to the day that President Harry Truman recognized Israel. The party platform goes on and says, We reaffirm America's commitment to Israel's security, 
and will ensure that Israel maintains a qualitative military edge over any and all adversaries. We support Israel's right and obligation to defend itself against terror attacks upon its people and against alternate, alternate forms of warfare upon it legally, economically, culturally, and otherwise. We reject the false notion, here's an important phrase, that Israel is a occupier. Occupier. And specifically recognize that the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, BDS, as it's commonly referred to, is anti-Semitic in nature and seeks to destroy Israel. The BDS movement is this movement where people are trying to boycott any companies that support Israel, all right, and they want sanctions against any company that tries to support Israel. And so ultimately what they're doing is they're waging economic warfare against the nation by trying to punish corporations in America and around the world that support Israel. So the Republican Party platform says that we reject that false notion and we consider the BDS movement to be anti-Semitic in nature and, we seek to, and, and it seeks to destroy Israel. Therefore, they say, we call for effective legislation to thwart actions that are intended to limit commercial relations with Israel or persons or entities doing business in Israel or in Israeli-controlled territories in a discriminatory manner. Now note, as of 2020, 32 state legislatures have passed bills similar to the Israel anti-boycott bill, which is still in Congress. So there is a bill in Congress that is the, is the, the Israel anti-boycott bill. All right, that we will not enter into that. Now, the party goes on. The United States seeks to assist in the establishment of comprehensive and lasting peace in the Middle East to be negotiated among those living in the region. Now, this is an important phrase I'm going to share with you. We oppose any measures intended to impose an agreement or to dictate borders or other terms. And we call for the immediate termination of all U.S. funding of any entity that attempts to do so. Our party is proud to stand with Israel now and always. Now, I want you to, to I want to go back over some of these terms. And, and I want to go over these terms not just because of the, not emphasizing the party that they're used with, but emphasizing the terms. And here's why. Because we're about to go to the scripture. And if we look at the terms that are used and the scriptures concerning the subject, we can see which platform more rightly stands for Israel. All right? And uh, I read the, the first party platform, the Democratic Party platform, uh, that they support a two-state solution. A two-state solution in the one nation of Israel. 
Uh, they said that they suppose, uh, oppose any unilateral steps by either side, including annexation, and they oppose settlement expansion. What settlement expansion do they oppose? Israeli settlements into other parts of Israel. Israeli settlements. You've never heard the world complain about the Palestinians wanting to take land and put settlements in other parts of Israel. You will only hear the world and the press complain and, and, and persecute Israel for wanting to expand their settlements into their own nation. All right? Uh, now, of course, the Republican Party. We recognize Jerusalem as the eternal and indivisible, undivided capital of the Jewish state. Now, I'll just say this before we get to the scriptures. Why is that important? Because the, 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 the plan of many people is to divide Jerusalem. But the support here is for the indivisible capital of Jerusalem. Uh, the next statement. We reject the false notion that Israel is an occupier. In, in other words, they came into a land and occupied a land that wasn't theirs. The next statement, we oppose any measures intended to impose an agreement or dictate borders or other terms. Now, why is this important? Well, let's go to the scriptures. Because uh, in Genesis 12 and verse 1, <clears throat> this is when the Lord God appeared to Abram in Ur of the Chaldees and told him to go into the land of Canaan. Well, we recognize that the land of Canaan is the land of Israel. What would be referred to further on in the Old Testament is the promised land. And it says, verse 1, Now the Lord had said, unto Abram, get out of your country. Now, remember, he, it says that he went to Haran and dwelt there until his father Terah died. And it says the Lord had said to Abram, well, he said that in Genesis 11, uh, 31, the Lord had said, get out of your country from your kindred, from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, and curse them that curse you. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So notice he says, I want you to go to the land of Canaan, and I want you to go to the land that I will show you, and that's where I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great there. All right? Now... Genesis 15, verse 6. This is when the Lord brought Abram out and showed him the stars. 
And he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And then God goes in and cuts a covenant with Abraham concerning the land. And notice he said, I've given you this land to inherit it. I've given you this land. This is so important. Because very often... When you're talking about the nation of Israel, I've even heard Christians allude to this, that, well, you know, the the Arabs are are Abraham's seed as well, and, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, as well as the Jews and as well as Isaac. So, you know, the issue is really not, no, no, listen. When God came to Abraham after Isaac was born, God spoke to Abraham, and he made this statement. Sarah told Abraham, she said, you need to put this bondwoman and her son out, all right, because there's going to be a problem. And the Lord told Abraham, don't be afraid to listen to your wife. I will take care of them, and I'll bless them, all right? But there still had to be a separation. Why? Because Isaac, who the line of the Hebrews the Jews continued through, Isaac was the promised seed. He wasn't just a seed, he was the promised seed. And it's common knowledge and commonly accepted that the the Arabs, the Arab race, came through Ishmael, which was a race separate from Isaac. The promised land was never promised to Ishmael. It was promised to the descendants of Isaac who came through Abraham. This is important because it's not that you don't care about people and you don't care about their lives. It's what does God say about the conflict and what does God say about who we should should support and why we should support certain things. Anytime, I'll say this over and over again, I want to remind you, anytime you support people that want to divide Israel and want to give land away, you're slapping God in His face. Because He said, I'm giving you this entire land for an inheritance. In Genesis 17, verse 6, He said to Abraham again, And I will make you exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come out of you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your seed in their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto you and to your seed after you. And I will give unto you and to your seed after you the land wherein you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting covenant. Notice the word, everlasting possession. An everlasting possession. Hallelujah. That makes it clear that God's given the land to Israel forever. It's an everlasting possession. 
any attempt to make Israel give up their land is shaking your fist in God's face. Because God said, and the Bible says God cannot lie. He cannot go back on His word. He made a covenant with Abraham and said, I've given your people, your seed, your descendants, this land for an everlasting possession. So there's only one people group that according to the scripture has a right to everlasting possession of the land of Israel and that is the Jews. They're the only ones. Now people will say, why is this important? Because understand, there are two criterias by which any nation is judged and it's this, the way they treat the people of Israel and what they do about the land of Israel. How they treat the people and what they do about the land. In uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, I'm, I'm going to share some information with you tonight that I believe is going to help us. If, if I, I, I say it this way for a purpose, if for no other reason it will give us insight into why uh, it's so important. In Isaiah 41, verse 11, it says, Behold, all they that were incensed against you shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with you shall perish. They, you shall seek them and not find them, even them that contended with you, they that war against you shall be as nothing and as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. Now, this is so important because notice, this is God's assurances to Israel. Those that fight against you, those that set themselves against you, they'll come to nothing. Now, we can claim that promise as New Covenant believers because we've been brought into that covenant. But in Isaiah 41, this was specifically written to Israel, to the Jews. Now, notice in Zechariah chapter 2, I want to talk to you about this dividing the land. Zechariah 2 and 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you touches the apple of his eye. Now that's important. People will say, how important is Israel? God says right here that the person that touches Israel, it's like putting your finger in God's eye. The apple of the eyes, the pupil of the eye, the core of the eye. And God says, those that touch you, Israel, it's like they're jamming their finger in my eye. Whew. Because you'll, you'll hear a lot, of, a lot of believers, and they will say Israel's important, and they will say, yes, it's important, you know, and yes, 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 they're God's people, they're this. But when you come down to this, everything that God said about Israel and everything that God said about the land, He still considers it to be true. He still considers it to be binding. He still considers it to be covenant. Everything. And the best thing that anybody can do is align themselves with what God says about that nation. In uh, Joel 
chapter 3, we will see why this division is so important. Joel 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. The Amplified Bible, the Amplified Classic says, they have divided my land. So notice, God says, I don't want there to be a division of the land. When he sent the people of Israel into the promised land, he told them to drive out the occupants that were there. Now, now here's the thing. Remember that these people that had come out of Egypt, they were coming into the land of promise some over 400 years, maybe 460, 470 years after that promise was made, that land was given to them almost 500 years previous by God. They went into bondage for four, they were in bondage 430 years. They roamed in the wilderness 40 years. So they're coming into the land to occupy it, to drive out the inhabitants some 470 years later. But God's plan had not changed. And when did they get in trouble? They got in trouble when they went into the land and instead of driving some of the inhabitants out, the scripture says that they put those nations under tribute and let them keep the land. They let them stay there. That was never what God said. He said, you drive them all out, you drive them all the way out of the land, and you establish your borders and you will be a prized possession to me. And every time people come to the nation of Israel and come through the nation of Israel to do trade and to do different things, they will see the grace and the glory of God Almighty on this people, and you'll be a testament to the whole world that God is God. But when they put these other nations under tribute, and they put them, them under under. Uh, uh, basically leases, if you would. Those nations became thorns in their sides because they were not supposed to divide the land with other nations. It was their land given to them by God. This is so important. Hallelujah. I... Uh, I, I want to look at some things historically, then we're going to get back into some biblical facts. But uh, when you look at the history of Israel, when Israel was reborn, uh, of course, we, we often point to 1947, 1948. But in the early part of the 20th century, 1917, they had what they called the Balfour Declaration. And this is where the League of Nations, uh, through the British Empire, was giving Israel this land. Well, when you fast forward to 1922, 
Israel came under Arab pressure and they violated the previous mandate and cut off 77% of what was called Palestine. Now remember, in the beginning, Palestinian was used to describe the Jews and the Arabs, the Palestinian Jews and the Palestinian Arabs, because the Romans had begun to call that area Palestine. That's, that's not a biblical term. That's not a godly term. This is the nation in the state of Israel. But what they did was they gave 77% of the land and granted it exclusively to a group called the Hashemites, and they forbade Jewish settlement in what became Jordan. And today, over 70% of Jordanians are Palestinian Arabs. All right? Now, why is this important? Because in 1923, they again violated the mandate and gave the Golan Heights to the French mandate, which later became Syria. So, but here's something I want you to see. At the time that Israel was, or that Britain was making all these steps and doing all these things, there was a statement about the British Empire. And it was this. The sun never sets on the British Empire. And it truly did not. They were the super of superpowers. From this point, Great Britain started going down, 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 down. Whereas of, as of today, you can't even call them a superpower. You would be hard-pressed to call them a great power. Why? Why is that so important? The pressure they consistently put on Israel to give up their land. God said, those that bless you, I'll bless. Those that curse you, they'll be cursed. Do you see this? In... Uh, 1947 and 48, of course, when Israel was recognized, if we could say that, as a state. UN Resolution 181, they put the original partitioning in. And the Jewish leaders accepted this even though their portion, this is so important, compromised only 13% of the original mandate and 60% of what they received was the arid Negev desert. Now, here's something to see, and I don't have time to get into all this, but the Bible inextricably links the Jewish people to the land of Israel. And he says that when the Jewish people are in the land, the land will prosper and thrive and be fertile. It'll be just what he said it was, a land that flows with milk and honey, a land of streams and rivers, a land that, that is blossoming. When, when from the time of the dispersion of the Jews until the return of the Jews, that nation, that land became arid, it became dry, it became desert. There are, there are, there are un, 
contested reports of people of history that went there and said it's a dry, it's an arid land, it is, it is uh, inhospitable. From the day that the Jews began arriving back in Israel, the land started blooming again. Until as of today, they are one of the major, if not the major exporters of, of produce, of flowers, of fruit trees, of fruits. Why? God said when the people are in the land, the land will prosper, the land will flourish, the land will thrive. And so even though they gave them only 13% of the original mandate, 60% of it was de desert, the land, has still, the land has still thrived. In the middle of the desert, Israel receives the same amount or nearly the same amount annually of rain as London, England. In the middle of the desert. Why is that? The people are in the land. Do you see that? And every, every time, every time someone demands that you give up land for peace, and we'll talk about that in a moment, you give up land for peace, you give this up, you give that up, you give this up, you are not only threatening the security of the Israeli people, you are looking at harming large parts of the entire world because the Bible says that through that people and through that land, all nations will be blessed. The major portion of that blessing was Jesus Christ coming through the seed of Abraham. But it is also a physical blessing because of the things that Israel contributes to the world economy, the things they contribute to the world medical society, the things they continue to the food chain. You've got to understand that when God's people are in their natural land doing what God asked them to do, it's a blessing to the whole world. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. But Arab leaders rejected the offer to create another Arab state in the mandate and instead went to war to seize the whole area and eliminate Israel. We don't want what you've given us. We want the whole area. Well, in 1967, of course, we know about the Six-Day War. Israel received uh, uh, military information that they were going to be hit from three sides. From Jordan and Egypt and, and, and Syria. In six days of fighting, Israel captured the Golan Heights, the Sinai Peninsula, Gaza, and the West Bank. This is important. Because... Then immediately, Israel offered to negotiate with Jordan, Syria, and Egypt to return land for peace. That was a slap in God's face. Because God had given them that land back. The, 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 the Sinai Peninsula on the uh, uh, south of Israel, the West Bank, of course, that borders Jordan, the Golan Heights that borders Syria, all right, which is a strategic military post, they immediately begin to negotiate land for peace. Moshe Dayan turned around 
and gave the Temple Mount back to the Arabs. It had been taken. He turned around and gave it back. It was a slap in God's face. In other words, they were saying, you didn't help us, we did this. But instead, the Arab governments refused to talk or recognize Israel. And in 1973, Syria and Egypt launched a surprise attack to destroy Israel on Yom Kippur, which is referred to as the Yom Kippur War. And once again, they were defeated. But notice what it all stemmed from. Land for peace. Land for peace. And this has never worked. This has never worked. In uh, September uh, 28th of 1995, what is referred to as the Oslo Accords, Oslo II, Israel was scheduled in this agreement to withdraw from Palestinian population centers, which would be governed by the PA or the Palestinian Authority. The West Bank and Gaza are divided into areas A, B, C, and, and so on and so forth. I'm not going to get into all that. But they, they agreed to the creation of a Palestinian police force of 30,000 men to keep order and control military factions. Notice this. Israel agrees to provide arms for the new police force. The PLO, the People's Liberation Organ- Palestinian Liberation Organization, agrees to stop incitement amend the PLO charter that still calls for Israel's destruction and guarantee respect for Jewish holy sites in its territory. That's September 28, 1995. September 28, 1995. January 30th, 1996, Chairman Yasser Arafat at the time, he's dead now, spoke to an Arab audience in Stockholm, Sweden, and said, you understand that we plan to eliminate the state of Israel and establish a purely Palestinian state. We'll make life unbearable for Jews by psychological warfare and population explosion. I have no use for Jews. They are and remain Jews. The reason I'm saying this to you is that In one place, not even a year before, there's an agreement signed that they're going to stop calling for Israel's destruction. And less than a year later, he's saying, you do understand we're going to destroy them. This is so important. In July of 2000, Now, I'm going this far back just to show you this. Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak offers 95% of a contiguous West Bank. In other words, 95% of the West Bank will give you. All right? 100% of Gaza, which Gaza is to the, the south, A capital in eastern Jerusalem, which is what? A divided capital. The removal of Jewish communities from those areas. And $30 billion to help resettle Palestinian refugees. 
Palestinians do not respond to the offer. Yasser Arafat left the negotiation table and wouldn't even respond. They're getting at that moment everything that they asked for at that time. Everything that they asked for, they're getting and they won't respond to it. Mm. On September 28th of 2000, violence erupts, marking the start of Al-Qasa or the Second Intifada, a campaign of Palestinian terrorism that ended effectively the Oslo process. At the time, Palestinians claimed Ariel Sharon, who was the Prime Minister of Israel, his walk on the Temple Mount triggered the violence. But Palestinian leaders, including the Palestinian Minister of Communication, Imhad Fallujah, later admit publicly that the Intifada had been planned since the end of the Camp David negotiations. So they had it planned from the end. Now here, here's my point. The world will call for a two-state solution. The problem is there's part of that process that doesn't want a two-state solution. They want Israel gone. And so anytime someone says, let's divide the capital, let's, let's stop Israel from annexation, let's stop them from building their settlements, what you're saying is that those people that are God's people after the, the seed of Abraham, that they do not deserve what God said belonged to them as an everlasting inheritance. That they're not supposed to share with anybody. This is so important. Hallelujah. And, and there are so many other instances that I could could talk about for the sake of time I won't but uh, this is so important because this is one that we're going to talk about in uh, June of 2003 uh the roadmap, they called it the Roadmap for Peace, was endorsed at the Aqaba Summit by Israeli Prime Minister Sharon, Palestinian Prime Minister Mahmoud Abbas, Jordan's King Abdullah, and of course at that time President George W. Bush. It called for the Palestinians to end terrorism and anti-Israel incitement. Israel is to help the Palestinians build their institutions and free settlement building, it envisions the establishment of a Palestinian state by 2005. Now this is important because I, I want you to see something. So that's what they begin. Now, God appeared to Abraham <coughs> three different times. Three different times. Now, in uh, Genesis 12, We'll look at this. Genesis 12 and verse 7. It says, The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto your seed will I give this land. And he builded an altar 
and he removed thence unto a mountain uh, on the east of Bethel and uh, pitched his tent having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. Verse 6 says that Abraham passed through the land under the place of Shechem or Shechem. So God appeared to Abraham first in Shechem. Now, where is Shechem today? <coughs> Shechem today is a town or a place called Nablus. N-A-U-B-L-U-S. Nablus is a stronghold for the Palestinian Liberation Organization. The first place God appeared to Abraham. He appeared to him in Hebron. Genesis 13, 14. And the Lord said to Abram after Lot was separated from him, lift up now your eyes, look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land which you see to you I will give it and to your seed forever. Verse 18, Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre which is in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Hebron today is largely populated by Arabs. This Hebron is where Abraham, Sarah, Rebekah, Jacob, and Rachel are all buried. They're buried in Hebron. And it is largely, mostly populated by Arabs. The third place that God appeared to Abraham and that he built an altar to God was on Mount Moriah when he asked him to take his son and offer him there for a sacrifice. And God appeared to Abraham and once again gave him the promise that I will give you this land for an inheritance. That land, that, that place, Mount Moriah, that place today is the site of one of the most holy Islamic holy places in the world. The Dome of the Rock. Where it's, where it's said, they say there's the rock there that Abraham sacrificed or was going to sacrifice Isaac on. But here's my point. If you take the three altars where God appeared to Abraham and you lay a 21st century map over the map of Israel, you will find that all three of these places are in the West Bank. Now why is that important? That's the place the world says belongs to the Palestinians and should be their homeland. But... It's the three places that God appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to you and to your seed for an everlasting inheritance. Hallelujah. Now there's some interesting parallels to when pressure is put on Israel to give up their land. In August of 2005, Israeli Prime Minister Sharon, at the prompting of the U.S., began removing Israeli settlements in Gaza and parts of the West Bank. Removing them. The U.S. provided $50 million dollars to the Palestinians for new housing and infrastructure projects in Gaza. 50 million. Now remember, that's where God appeared to Abraham and said, I'll give this land to you and your seed for an everlasting possession. That's August of 2005. August 29, 
Hurricane Katrina hit Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama, devastating New Orleans. It's now being called the largest natural disaster in U.S. history. Now, people will say, but Pastor, I I thought you said God doesn't send hurricanes. God didn't send the hurricane. But the Bible says, make no mistake about it, that if you bless Israel and you hold to the covenant that I made with them, you'll be blessed. If you don't, and if you try to get them to break the covenant or you try to divide the land or make them divide the land, the protection over you comes off of you. I personally believe that hurricane was coming anyway. And I believe had the United States done the right thing and stood against that dividing of the land of Israel, the devastation would not have been what it was. Every time, well, 9,000 Israelis were evicted by their government out of Gaza and the West Bank. It has been called the worst abandonment of Jews in history and the largest forced evacuation in Israel's history. Their own nation abandoned them at the prompting of the United States. And look at the destruction that followed. Every time pressure's put on Israel to give land to the Palestinians, we're throwing our opinion in the face of God. God said the land belongs to Abraham and to his seed forever. In, uh, I'll go back a little further. In 1991, George H.W. Bush, W's father, had the highest approval rating of any president. We had just come out of, out of Desert Storm. We had run uh, Saddam Hussein out of, the, out, of, out of Kuwait. What he called the mother of all wars turned into be romper room. I mean, they, they, they had such a misunderstanding of technology that the tank commanders thought that if they parked their tanks under trees that the infrared of, uh, of, of American planes couldn't find them. So they just destroyed their tank core by finding them sitting under trees and blew them up. Quick and easy. Desert storm. Man, he had the highest approval rating of any president. Bill Clinton was running against him and he was considered a joke. He had, to, to many experts, he had no hope of winning that election. But Mr. Bush had a Secretary of State named James Baker who doesn't like Israel. <coughs> and he was pressing the people of Israel. He, he made comments. I, I heard them, read them, vulgar comments behind closed doors that Israel needed to be made to give up their land. He did that in the face of God. George Bush lost the election. People will say, well, you know, that's a coincidence. I don't think so. Because he said, if you bless Israel, I'll bless you. Hallelujah. 
President Bill Clinton snubbed the Prime Minister of Israel one day before the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke. One day. Every time a politician says we should give the Palestinians their homeland, well, where would it be? Over the altars God built and Abraham built in response to the promise of God. Over the altars that Abraham built in response to God's promise that this will be an inheritance to your seed forever. And every time someone says, give up the land, we're saying, violate the word, violate the everlasting covenant. That's what the scripture says will happen. When they violate the everlasting covenant, all these things will begin to happen. There should never be pressure put on Israel to give up land for peace. The borders are what God says they were. Not only does Israel have a right to protect itself, any group, any people that calls Israel an occupying force are at, at best misguided and at worst liars because they are not an occupying force. They are occupying, they are, they are making life in the land that God gave them as their inheritance. And so when someone says we are against annexation, we are, uh, we, we, we are against uh, uh, settlements going up, how can, how can anything be illegal on land that you own? It cannot be illegal to build a settlement on land that belongs to you. It just cannot be. And so the world will say, don't annex, don't make settlements. And, and, and the list goes on and on and on. When, when Israel began to build a security wall for the purpose that uh, Palestinian snipers could not kill people, the world went into an uproar. But we have a wall between us and Mexico. Spain has a wall between them and their enemies. North Korea and South Korea have walls. Other nations have security fences that define their borders. Why, why is it a problem for the nation of Israel? Because that place, that issue is the heart of the eternal conflict. Satan hates Israel because Israel represents the promise of God. And if that nation ever ceases to exist, then God's word is not true. It will always exist because God said it will always exist. But that's why the enemy fights it. And if you are only receiving your information about this conflict from the news or, or from a publication that you may read or the internet, you're hearing it from the, 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 the place of people that are, that are uh, skewed in their viewpoint and they're not looking at it from the Word of God. Israel does not need the United States. We need them. We need them. Because 
the nation, there have been times when we've been the only nation that stood for them. It began in 1948. I pray that we continue to stand for them. I pray that we continue to make this a priority. So I encourage you, when you go to vote, I encourage you to look at the parties. What does the party that you're going to vote for, what does their platform say about, not just about Israel having the right to defend itself, but about dividing the land, about annexation, about settlements, about borders, what does it say? And if the party you're voting for says Israel should be made to give up land, Israel should be made to stop putting up settlements, either party, whichever party it is, if that's their platform, I've showed you from the scripture that that is incorrect. And we cannot afford to have that on our conscience. We cannot. In the name of Jesus. So Father, I pray that tonight, Lord, that what I've said would enlighten us, of course, intellectually, but I pray, Father, that there has been a, a rising up spiritually to say this is what the Word of God says and this is the direction that we're going to go. And Father, I just pray for our nation at this critical moment, this critical time. And I pray, Lord, that again, that the sword of the tongue of truth would be sharpened, that the sword of the tongue of deceit would be dulled. And Lord, that any deception would be exposed. And as we approach this time of voting, which is our, our right as American citizens, but even our God-given right as believers in the kingdom of God, I pray, Father, that we would vote in line with the Word of God, that we would take the platforms and line it up with Your Word, and those that do not line up with Your Word, that we would move away from them. And those that line up with your word, we would align ourselves with them. And we thank you, Father, that we're seeing the rebirth of our nation in the name of Jesus.